1: That's audible.com slash WonderyPod, or text WonderyPod to 500, 500
2: Welcome to CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans. I'm your host, Phil Briggs. I'm a Navy veteran, and every week I get a chance to look at the issues of the day through the eyes of my fellow military vets. Now, sometimes we get a military veteran expert in here to talk about the issues in the news, and other times we'll talk about the issues that uniquely affect veterans. But I tell you, every episode will bring you fascinating guests with incredible stories to share. My goal every week is simple: bring you something informative and something that will inspire the hell out of you. This is the news and stories about the veteran lifestyle. This is I on Veterans. On today's show, we'll hear why AMVETS thinks that VA Secretary Wilkie not only deserves a lump of coal in his stocking, but he needs to just straight up resign.
3: It doesn't matter who it was, whether it was Andrea Goldstein or any veteran, you don't go after the accuser.
2: And we'll hear the emotional story of a combat zone Christmas. Well, it was just,
4: you know, such a a polarizing, you know, moment, um, you know, when that happened. Um, you know, that it was like, how oh, do we have anything close to, you know, to Christmas? And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't think there was any way. And, um, you, know, one, uh, you know, one day they're like, listen, you know, we're getting the Christmas tree. And they're like, what? How, how's that going to happen? And then sure enough, Christmas tree shows up. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you just see, you know, the donkeys. And first, I dressed up as Santa Claus.
2: Now we'll begin the show with a Christmas tradition of seeing who's been naughty or nice, and in this case, who should just blame get fired. And here to share more about this story is our guest from the Veteran Service Organization, AMVETS National Commander and Air Force veteran herself, Jan Brown. Jan, welcome.
3: Thank you. Good to hear- talk to you again. Yeah, great to hear from you again. And as
2: uh, we getting ready for some snow in D.C., it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, but uh, there is the, you know, naughty and nice list. And I want to begin by saying a lot of what we're getting ready to talk about centers around the claims of a U.S. Navy veteran and Navy reservist and the congressional policy advisor, Andrea Goldstein. Um, She filed a claim uh, over a year ago uh, that she was physically assaulted uh, when she was grabbed in an atrium or in the atrium of the DCVA while waiting for her doctor's appointment and um, allegedly by another veteran. And that goes without say that that is something that should just not stand and no woman should ever have to deal with or endure um, anywhere. But we want to talk today specifically about how AMVETS has joined fellow veteran service organization, the Disabled American Veterans, in calling for the resignation now. A VA Secretary Wilkie. So why does AMVETS feel so strongly that they would pen a letter to this effect?
3: You know, Phil, it, we talked about this a lot. And uh, last end of last February, I testified, when I testified before the, the Joint House Committee on Veterans Affairs, one of the things I talked about was this issue. And it, it doesn't matter who it was, whether it was Andrea Goldstein or any, any veteran, you don't go after the accuser. That, it, especially in a sexual assault case, we felt very strongly about this. It's very hard. Probably one in four uh, women have uh, complained that they have uh, endured catcalls or actual, you know, touching, uh, unwanted touching by by fellow veterans in the VA system. We want that reported so it can stop. And the fact that uh, it, it appears very likely that uh, Secretary Wilkie and his upper echelon uh, made this a personal vendetta against Andrea Goldstein because of who she works for, and it, it's just not right. And and we hesitated for just a moment because you know basically he has forty days left. You know he's not he's, He's not going to be around. But the more we thought about it, the more we thought, you know what, it doesn't matter. He needs to go. Mm. And he has lost, completely lost the trust of the, uh, of the veterans in this case.
2: Mm. So. Now, specifically, I noted as I followed the case myself that Andrew Goldstein's case was closed by the, officer, uh, by the Office of Inspector General of Department of Veterans Affairs, and uh, Wilkie used the term unsubstantiated in his description of the matter about the charges. Um, so is that what this is about? That, that, that according to that word unsubstantiated, that he just doesn't take sexual harassment seriously enough?
3: That's kind of what it came to me. But I also think it had a lot to do with who, who made the report. As you know, she works for, uh, Senator Ticano, you know, the chair of the, the joint committee on Veterans affairs. And apparently there's a little clash there between the two of them. And I think he felt like it was a personal affront that they were setting him up. Maybe, I don't know. Mm. I I can't speak for him, but his actions were unprofessional and not following through with this complaint. And as they found out later, that the gentleman that she accused had been reported for sexual harassment uh, before in the VA and had, had been arrested for sexual assault previously.
2: Do you also agree with former Deputy Secretary of the VA Jim Byrne about his allegations that he was asked to discredit Goldstein by bringing up uh, previous allegations of sexual harassment and/or other rumors from her past,
3: I'm thinking it did, but I I wasn't there, so I can't speak to it specifically. But the fact that it even came up is uh, unconscionable. You know, why would you? Qu- it, it doesn't matter if she had reported sexual assault before; You should report it every time. Yeah, and I applaud her. For having the courage to do that and i'll be honest with you i mean i'll i'll say how old i am i came up in the 70s in the military in the early 70s and you just didn't talk about it you didn't report it because you knew that there would be retribution if you reported a sexual assault and that they weren't going to take it seriously because you know, uh, women veterans or women in the military back in that time, we were either whores or lesbians, and they were going to find out which one you were. And it, I lived through it. I was very fortunate. I was. It happened on the west coast, but I was stationed here at Andrews, and I was having trouble. And somebody figured it out and sent me to see a doctor, and who was in turn uh, referred me to mental health, and I and I got the help that I needed. But it goes on far more often than people are aware of. And that was back in the 70s. This is 2020. This should not be happening anymore. Not just in the military, but anywhere. It's like, get a life and grow up. That's not how you go about things. So all in all, I applaud Andrea, and I I really am highly disappointed in uh, Secretary Wilkie and his staff and anybody who we talked to about this case where they made it about her. let
2: Let's talk about the nomination for a new VA secretary, Dennis McDonough. Uh, On paper, Dennis McDonough does not have experience in the medical field, overseeing a large bureaucracy and is not a veteran like you and I. Uh, What makes AMVETS eager to begin working with him on VA issues if appointed? And uh, why is it so important that he succeed immediately?
3: They didn't ask our opinion of who it should be. And the fact that he has reached out to us and he knows what his weaknesses are and, you know, as far as the VA goes and promises to uh, get a running start, surround him with with people that are familiar with the VA system and help us implement programs, you know, particularly, again, in mental health and in the issues of Women Veterans uh, Service in a rapid and uh, succinct uh, fashion, uh, his willingness to do that. And, you know, this is just my personal opinion. But I'm willing to work with anybody till you prove me wrong. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He's handled a lot of situations when he was chief of staff. He's always grown in what he's doing. And um, I've been very impressed by what I've heard about him. So I- until you prove me wrong um, and, and go back to status quo, I, I'm willing to work with you and I'll work for you.
2: Mm-hmm. And here's to hope for a brighter 21 on so many fronts, but not the least of which are women's issues and uh, hoping that we can you know, put chapters like this behind us and uh, start start with a new VA secretary on a new footing. I know AMVETS will always help hold their feet to the fire, which is why it's a pleasure to work with you and to talk with you. National Commander of AMVETS, Jan Brown, thank you so much for your time and thank you for sorting out who is on the naughty and nice list this year.
3: Thank you so much and have a great Christmas yourself.
2: Now stick around, because up next is an emotional story about a Christmas in a combat zone.
4: And so I opened up, you know, to my uncle and my cousins there, and they both said to me, like, listen, man, you're going to go to war. They just were looking at me knowing what was to come.
2: That's ahead on CBS Ion Veterans. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran and reporter for connectingvets.com, Phil Briggs. Now, up next is a story about Christmas from a combat zone and how even the darkest days cannot stop the power of brotherhood or the spirit of Christmas. Our guest, Jose Belen, is an Army combat veteran, a former gunner with the Army's legendary 1st Armored Division, Old Ironsides, and a Puerto Rican American from New York. That's the kind of guy that is naturally a big brother to everyone around him. Jose, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me here today. Man, I cannot wait to unpack this Christmas story with you and hear all about your career, because uh, if it's one thing I know, warfighters know how to tell one hell of a good story. And uh, you certainly will not disappoint. Um, I found you, of course, uh, at the University of Central Florida as part of the Veterans History Project, where uh, you told uh, the story about your deployment and, and your service to our country, which, uh, you know, honestly goes without say that, you know, we thank you for. But I uh, also want to begin on the front end here to let you know personally that uh, we'll dedicate this whole segment to uh, LT, Ed Saltz, and uh, your buddy, Stuart Moore.
4: Thank you, but that. that means the world to me and their family. So thank you very much, man.
2: Like so many Iraq and Afghanistan veterans, Jose made the decision to join the Army while he was still in high school. He grew up admiring his uncles, who had served in Desert Storm. And as a New Yorker, when he watched the towers fall, he didn't hesitate to raise his hand and join the fight.
4: And I just remember, you know, them saying, oh my God, there's daycares in there, there's children, there's so many innocent people. And then when the towers fell, um, you know, it shook me and my recruiter called. And he said, listen, listen, son, he's like, get ready, you're going to war. I'll never forget that. He's like, well, you just saw there. He's like, that's, that's deliberate. And he's like, and so that was kind of the first time that the seed was planted. And um, I took real offense to, to that attack personally. Um, I remember, um, you know, I, I, I cried a lot thinking of, uh, you know, the, the innocence that was lost that day and just the unnecessary, you know, carnage. And so um, I was in basic training by January 2002 uh, in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And um, ironically enough, uh, when we were in Iraq uh, on our artillery show, um, you know, with right write messages, you know, four, nine, eleven you know, in, in memory on the 50 cal rounds and a Sharpie marker, I would always write. So that, that anger, um, you know, stayed with me the entire time of the deployment.
2: And now after his training to fire the big guns and the field artillery that he would use every day for the next year, he started out like every other young enlisted soldier shipping off to a foreign land.
4: It was incredible, man. We were stationed in a small town in Germany called Geisen, Germany. Um, I was fortunate enough to get there a day after uh, my best friend that I went to basic training with, so he picked me up. Um, you know, so the brotherhood was immediate. Uh, met everyone from the unit, um, you know, immediately, except for my actual platoon um, and battery because they were out in the field. They were in Grafenbeer and this kind of ties into how I met Stuart, uh, my my best friend. Um, so when I got to the unit uh, the day I got there. Um, they didn't really have uh, any personnel there to greet me. So they said, Listen, we're going to put you in this room. We don't have any blankets or pillows. And um, I remember using um, pillow paper as, as pillows. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so I have uh, an uncle who uh, did 30 years, and he was stationed in, uh, in Germany at the time. And he was an E8 uh, at the time. And he surprised me the next day. He was at, you know, I hear a knock on the door, open the door. And my uncle standing there in civilian clothes, like holy shit. I was like, hey, you know, uncle, um, you know, how you doing? I was like, great to see you. But he then sees how I was sleeping and the toilet paper. He's like, what is that? And I said, well, that's where I was sleeping. Takes. He's like, where's uh, the SOG? Where's your battalion headquarters? So I take him there to battalion headquarters. There's a sergeant there, feet kicked back, you know, just kind of chilling. And um, you know, my uncle walks over to him and he says, hey, you know, for sergeant excuse me, uh, sorry, um, you know, first sergeant such and such, this is my nephew, um, why is he sleeping on, on the floor with pillows, uh, you know, toilet paper with those pillows, and so, you know, it's kind of a funny moment, he says, look, we'll take care of that right now, we'll get him another room, and that other room, you know, knocked on the door, and the person that opened that door uh, was a soldier who had just come from 2nd um, ACR in Fort Polk, his name was, uh, you know, Stuart Moore, and um, he says, well, this is going to be your roommate, this is, you know, we're going to be staying. And uh true story is, you know, my uncle, uh, you know, told Stuart, he said, listen, this is my nephew. Show him the way, take care of him. And uh, Stuart said, you know, absolutely, I sure will. And that was the first time I, I met Stuart, you know, a young kid from Texas. And, um, you know, to this day, I, I haven't been able to get myself to tell my uncle that uh, he was killed in action um, because, you know, he, he promised my uncle that he would be a friend to me and a brother and he sure was. And so, you know, our unit, I'm um, in very close relationships like that. Um you know, so going to battle uh, with with two three was, was honesty an honor. Honest. Mm.
5: Yeah.
2: God bless. Yeah, man. And I'm so glad you didn't have any more toilet paper pillows, man. That does sound No man, terrible. but
4: that's a soldier life. You know, I'm like I'm a I just got here from basic. I'm like, this is what it's like. I'm like, all right, you know, I
2: didn't care. I'm telling you, dude, that's why you should have joined the navy. See, we always had a rack with a pillow. I was on a carrier, right. I didn't get much sleep, but man, I always had a bed. That's awesome. All right, uh, yo, share with me a little bit about Stewart. I know as roomies, you got a lot of downtime, and I know certainly when you get deployed together, you know there's moments of sheer terror, but then there's all this like downtime. What was he like? Was he a ballbuster? Like when you first walked through the door, was he like, ah, oh, I gotta have a roommate? God, you don't smell, do you? Uh,
4: <laughs> he, you know, it's funny, man. He was, you know, just, uh, you know, I'm I'm six foot uh, even, and then he was about maybe five foot two, so he's a lot shorter. Um, and he's just a country kid from Texas, you know, and I'm this big, burly Puerto Rican from New York, so complete opposite, but <laughs> it was cool. He's like, well, have you ever heard SPM, you know, and I was like, well, what is that? We're talking about music, and he's like, I think he's like South, you know, Park Mexican or something like that, so he's listening to like this cholo rap, you know, listening to his country music too, so... You know, we kind of hit it off, and instead of having any animosity, I took it as an opportunity to to just learn from him. Um, He taught me how to shine my boots better, press my uniform. Uh, He was recently uh, married, um, and he just had a a daughter. And so, um, one thing was they always spoke at night, like two, three in the morning, because of the time differences. So they would always argue. You know, at two, three in the morning, or you know, and I'm right there. This is in you know the barracks. So we're like right next to each other, and I'm like, dude, we got PT in like an hour. And so, um, you know, his uh, the way I can describe him, man, he was just uh, a MacGyver, could fix it all. You know, soldier, soldier. Um, you know, loved his family back home. And um, you know, one funny story is he he chewed a lot of tobacco, and uh, he would always spit them in the plastic uh, Coca-Cola bottles, and then leave them on the ledge like a little collection. And I would always, like, just tell him, like, dude, throw them out. Like, this is disgusting. (laughs) So one day I get home, uh, I get back to the barracks, you know, and and I'm, like, dying to have, you know, a cold-ass Coke. So I open the the fridge, open the soda, and I just start chugging it. Well, he put a damn chew bottle in there, man. So when I took that big gulp of Coca-Cola, man, I truly took a big gulp of his chew, (laughs) filled it with black tar, and uh, you know, got me there. So you know, he had a, a great sense of humor too, and uh, that brotherhood we took into combat. And uh, you know, it was uh, it was special, man. Good guy.
2: <laughs> That's awesome, man. That is awesome. And he
4: only had he, he he only had he didn't have a trigger finger too. We called him Nub. His nickname was Nub and UBB because he only had a little nub. So he actually shot with his middle finger.
2: Oh really? Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah. No, it's good
2: on, no, See, I, I mean, and that's what you got to love about the service experience. That's what you have to love about the military brotherhood is if like you have any shortcoming, we are going to expose it. We're going to nickname you after it yeah. and we're going to love you for it. But we're never going to let you forget that we know you don't have a finger. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Love. That's right. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Okay, so you're more than blood brothers. You're saliva brothers. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Now, Jose's first Christmas, while deployed, he got lucky and was able to get a Red Cross trip home to see his ailing grandfather one last time. But it was during that trip that the veterans in his family foreshadowed the dark days that were coming soon.
4: And so I opened up, you know, to my uncle and my cousins there. And they both said to me, like, listen, man, you're going to go to war. And I was sitting on my aunt's balcony with them, you know, two men I clearly trusted that had been there. and they, yeah. They just were looking at me knowing what was to come and they they were it was shell shock they were talking about PTSD and I'll never forget not being able to correlate how bad it would get.
2: Now coming up, we'll head into Baghdad and recall a Christmas he would never forget. Welcome back to CBS Ion Veterans. I'm Phil Briggs, a former Navy journalist and a reporter for ConnectingVets.com. Now we'll pick back up with our interview with Army veteran Jose Belen and the story of a Christmas in combat. Now after staging in Germany, he eventually would roll out and cross that fateful berm between Kuwait and Iraq. And that's when things for a gunner got real.
4: Uh, for me, um, when it was time to cross that berm from Kuwait to Iraq, I was very uh, trusted, you know, by uh, by my leadership and command. So I was assigned uh, M249 saw, and then an M16 uh, with 203 grenades uh, as well. And then I was also placed uh, as a 50 cal gunner. And so, you know, I'm crossing into Iraq, you know, on a 50 cal. But then I'm also carrying a 249 with 600, you know, rounds of ammo, you know, between three drums. I have 30 magazines plus six HE grenades strapped to my chest. And so as soon as, um, you know, we cross from Kuwait, the weapon control status, you go from green to black. And black is, you know, round in the chamber, weapon off safety, finger on the trigger. So as soon as I cross into that berm, man, I had a, a school of, you know, maybe 20 to 30 kids, man, running full speed at us. And if you know warfare, I mean, they unfortunately use children as decoys. It could be an ambush or they can be, you know, also strapped themselves. And so I just remember them running at me, um, thinking to myself, uh, you know, if you pose a threat, it's, it's just over for all you guys. And it, it sucked, you know, because, you know, you're looking at you know six, seven, 8, 12, you know, 15, 16-year-old kids, girls all running and, and you're having to analyze. Not only them, you know, but your entire perimeter because they could also be a decoy. So, you know, we've you up and, and you've got to do work. Thank yeah. God um, they, they were just happy to see us as liberators and not the enemy. Um, yeah, but we did take contact later on uh, that day.
2: From that day on, he and the members of his unit would advance to Baghdad, where they would be tasked with clearing the city, and he would volunteer for missions every day on a deployment that would span his 21st and 22nd birthdays because you were not only part of your team as a gunner, but then you were also QRF, which was like you had to leave if, you know, S went down. So like how many times a day would you go out and chase bad guys?
4: Quite honestly, man, uh, as many opportunities as, as they came up. uh, So for me, um, I was fortunate to to earn the respect of of leadership. Uh, So when it came time to doing, you know, let's say an operation that involves a, a raid or something like that. Uh, at 2 in the morning, you know, I would, you know, raise my hand and say, look, I'll, I'll join up on that team. Um, or there were times where we'd have to, you know, take one soldier, would have to scale. You know, you see these cell phone towers. I, I always see cell phone towers and water towers and I laugh because those are some of the missions that I would pull. I would climb and scale, you know, cell phone tower you know, by myself with a saw, you know, a hundred feet in the air with this thing swaying back and forth overlooking ID uh, placements, you know, to possibly call in C-130 support or, or identify target, you know, to, to get them. And so um, for me, I understood that, um, you know, death uh, was going to be a constant every second of the day, 24 seven, So I immediately made peace with God, and and I said, Lord, if you take me at any time, it's okay. Please just don't let me suffer. Um, I will not fear death. Um, I understand my job, and it's a job of honor, and if it happens, um, I'm ready to go.
2: That conversation with God, what were you asking for, and what was that prayer like?
4: For my family, for solace for them, Um, if I was to die today, to to please comfort them. for, for those to understand that it was an honor uh, to fight. And, and, you know, if I could speak beyond the grave, I would, you know, give the, the most genuine you're welcome. I could. Um, I tell people war is like a, a labyrinth, it's like another dimension on earth. It's a place where it's, there's no time. There's no Monday. There's no Tuesday. There's no happy birthday. There's none of it. And um, within there, there's a certain time that I wish that no man or woman on earth ever has to experience. I found myself, uh, in, in, in those moments of I have maybe five minutes and minutes, you know, ammo's running low. Uh, we were compromised, you know, we're in the middle of Baghdad and we're waiting on a Humvee who is 15 minutes away. We're going to have to actually, you know, fight our way. And so, um, I remember the first thing I thought of, what was my mom doing back home? Um, was she folding laundry? Was she cooking? Um, you know how how would she ever know that? You know she was on my mind. You know as you know I was about to potentially die. Then I'd think about my dad, uh, my little brother who was eight at the time, and my sister who was nine. Where they were back home, what they were doing. If they only knew that I was thinking of them. Um, and then I would look at my right arm at the flag and, uh, I would look at the stars and think of America and everyone back home. And I remember the gold border on the flag. And then I would just think, you know, if it's, you know, his will, Lord, it's his will. And I, and it was, so my relationship with God was a very noble and honest one. Um, I would, I literally would every morning uh, wake up and and say, verbalize, you know, Lord, thank you for letting me see the sunrise. I would do the Holy Trinity and then uh, at night, I thank you, Lord, for letting me see my pillow um, tonight and for me to sleep. Um, It was just special, man. There was just no fear.
2: At peace with the war around him, Jose and his best friend, Private First Class Stuart Moore would soon face the ultimate test of faith as Christmas inched closer.
4: You know, every now and then we would laugh just about, you know, I I would tell him, because I I told him he was so country every time he opened his mouth, he sounded like a banjo. (laughs) And uh, I would talk to him, like, well, I want to, you know, we talk about Livingston, Texas, where he's from, and he would tell me um, that when we went back home that we'd uh, go to Livingston, and I was like, I want to ride horses, man, you're cowboy, I would tell him, you know, and get one of those funny hats, and he told me about this um, this small shop in Livingston that, uh, you know, makes the hats and the, the boots, and, you know, we would talk about going back, and it was just such a beautiful morning, and I poured myself a bowl of cereal, and it's quiet, it's just so quiet, and it's very rare, and then out of nowhere, you just hear the scream for QRS. And the radio room door slammed shut. So I'm like, holy! So I'm in the QRF room and I'm loading up, you know, put my you know, my stuff on, and I'm noticing that my buddy's not in there. Lieutenant salt is not there, you know. I, and then we're out in the Humvee. I'm in the lead Humvee, and you know we're we're hell on wheels, man. You have about nine, we're 911 in war, you know. And I'm in the gunner's hatch, but we're not we're not leaving. Not be the Humvees are idle. And so it's just kind of this chaos. And then I look around at the team, and I'm seeing different faces. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, where, is where the hell is this person? Where is that where is this person? You know, and, um, you know, all of a sudden, on the radio, they say, alpha battery, stand down, you have three KIA. And I was like, what is happening? And uh, one of my buddies that was there you know, he's like, listen, man, uh, they changed the time of the operation and uh, they didn't want to wake you up. Yeah, they volunteered to go, and I know my buddy. And uh, so I'm just like staring at, and everyone's just, there's just a silence. Like, just a, a quiet. And I'll never forget a sergeant, uh, Gunny Randall. Um, Man, I respect very much, came running out, land is Kevlar. On the on the um they're screaming, how do you tell a mother her son is dead on Christmas.
2: Sadly, on that day, Jose and all of America lost Lieutenant Ed Saltz and PFC Stuart Moore when their vehicle hit an IED. With Christmas only a few days away, we'll hear how the soldiers banded together and how Jose witnessed a true miracle when CBS Ion Veterans returns. Welcome back to CBS Ion Veterans. I'm Navy veteran and reporter for ConnectingVets.com, Phil Briggs. Now we're sharing the story of a combat Christmas from veteran Army gunner, Jose Belen. The story comes to us from the University of Central Florida's Veteran History Project. And it's the story of how just days before Christmas, during the early days of the war in Iraq, Jose lost his best friend, Private First Class Stuart Moore, when his vehicle was struck by an IED. Jose described how after his unit lost two of their brothers, December did not exactly feel like the most wonderful time of the year.
4: Um, well, it was just, you know, such a a polarizing, you know, moment, um, you know, when that happened, um, you know, that it was like, how do we have anything close to, you know, to Christmas? And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I didn't think there was any way. And, um, you know, one, uh, you know, one day, they're like, listen, you know, we're getting a Christmas tree. And they're like, what? How, how's that going to happen? And then sure enough, Christmas tree shows up. <laughs> and then, you know, in uh, Christmas, um, you know, we have, you know, a regular formation and, you know, they're like, Santa Claus is here, you know, and then we hear like jingles and stuff. And then the moment... You never forget because there's a wall, a big, you know, wall, and then all of a sudden you just see, you know, the donkeys. And, and first, I dressed up as Santa Claus.
2: And I saw the uh, picture. And, uh, he's big as hell, too. You know, like everything you described, he's 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 bigger than the trailer that he's sitting on. I mean, he feels half the damn thing himself.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It was just like it had to be him, you know what I'm saying, like, it, it was just like, it had to be him, and, and so, it, morale is everything, especially in combat, you know, I mean, you can't, you can't lose your, soldier your spirit, and so, you know, for, for him to provide us that, you know, in, you know, bit of a, a morale boost, but uh, it definitely made Christmas for us, um, you know, somewhat uh, manageable.
2: Not to be cliche, but did he bring gifts? Like I know I'd be asking for like a little <laughs> stocking of Jack Daniels myself. But did, were you able to get a little gift out of the deal?
4: <laughs> gifts, but you know it was just kind of like candy and stuff like that because Iraq is a dry country and stuff. Oh yeah, so, yeah. You yeah. Know, we couldn't have any. Trust me, I was like, we we're hoping for that, <laughs> you know. But uh, like we we barbecued and you know again just kind of did the best we could with, with what uh, with what we had that Christmas.
2: Now, as Jose and I talked about Christmas, we also talked about other events that happened in Baghdad. And as I listened to him recall one specific moment, I couldn't help but think that just might be the miracle in this Christmas story.
4: We made through, made it through the recon, the patrol, and we had no contact. And we're about to go back to our, our palace, which was Saddam's palace in Baghdad. We call it Gunner Palace. That's where our battalion headquarters was. We're going back, and then the lieutenant says, "We forgot part of the, you know, quadrant, the grid. We can't go. We have to go clear this, you know, area." And I just remember thinking, "All right." And I was the lead gunner, and sure enough, man, we're about to make a right turn on a residential neighborhood. All right, this is a nice area back that it and it was kinda of trip me out sometimes. There were places that just look like home, like well kept lawns and stuff. So hmm. so we're we're turning into this neighborhood making a right turn and I'm a lead cutter in a fifty cal And all the lights are lit up, all the street lights are lit up going all the way down. And as soon as my home V Man makes a full right turn, the lights go out, boom, and I just see an RPG Shoot, because I'm the lead gunner, so the enemy's trying to kill me first. <laughs> so I see the RPG shot from, I'd say, 11 o'clock. and I, It's crazy, man. It's like slow motion. You just see it. <laughs> and you see the trail, and I'm thinking, this is going to hurt.
2: Yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, wow. Like,
2: and a, like a shooting star coming right at you. you yeah, just,
4: yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I remember watching it come. And as I'm watching it come, I'm starting to shoot in the direction, and somehow it fishtails up as it's about to hit me and smashes into this phone post right above me that was... I remember the sparks and the explosion was so close that I could have jumped up and touched them. I remember thinking that to myself, like, don't ever forget how close and then from there man they just opened up with ak fire from you know the wood line and bushes and we returned fire um unfortunately man i was i wasn't hit none of us you know were hit they shot a, a rpg again at the track they didn't hit the track and uh, we got out of the kill zone and, and survived mm. that's yep. an example of how it's like i was i was done man if this guy you know got a right angle at
2: that right time and maybe maybe he exhaled when he pulled the trigger right 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 god that's amazing like you can testify you actually saw some miracles go down eventually jose's tour in baghdad would end he would return home and take the long road to recovering from those dramatic days And similar to the act of making a handmade gift for a loved one, like we do at Christmas time, it was creating handcrafted wooden flags that led Jose to find peace, and found the Freedom Factory Flag Company.
4: So uh, Memorial Day this year, um, I handled my emotions a little differently, and I'm I'm very excited and proud to say that. Uh, So it's always been kind of a catastrophic day for me emotionally. Um, I usually end up just kind of drinking and crying and stuff, and. This year, especially with COVID and all that, I said, you know what? No, I don't want that. And so I called my best friend. He knows my struggle um, better than anybody. And so I said, hey, you know, would you want to make a, a wooden American flag with me in memory of my buddies uh, on this Memorial Day? And went to Lowe's and you know bought uh, some wood. And my buddy had the table saw. And it was the moment I painted the first red stripe um, that I felt you know, the the sense of healing, and then when I went to torch the flag um, to add a little element to it, um, it it allowed me to essentially close a chapter with what was the most painful memory that I had, and so the Freedom Factory is a way for me to provide a level of healing with my own bare hands. I build them with my hands. I hand-paint them, and I do them in memory of my buddies, and... It's just turned into such an incredible experience that now, you know, every day I'm, I'm building freedom. That's what I say, and I build freedom, you know, in memory of my buddies. And ultimately, my goal is to continue to scale and uh, have uh, an environment to where I can open up the shop and have all the materials there and say, hey, you know, if you're a veteran, come here, come with the Freedom Factory, and we'll build together.
2: And uh, the website for the Freedom Factory flag company is the Freedom. Factoryflagco.com, flag C-O.com. and uh, we're really close to christmas this might not be in time for christmas but they would make a handsome gift on any veterans wall um i think what i like best about this entire story is it's forged by the promise that you made your brother and by the promise that through this flag company you continually keep for others because you are still a big brother down there making these flags. I can't thank you enough for sharing it so much, Jose Belen. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to this, stud
4: You got it, brother. I'm always here. Thank you for the time and thank you for all those listening. God bless you. God bless America.
2: I'm Phil Briggs from ConnectingVets.com, wishing you all a very Merry Christmas from everyone here at CBS Ion Veterans. All right, so that does it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. Now, we'd love to hear from you. So follow us on Twitter at IonVeterans, or you can reach me at Phil Briggs Vet. I'm always down to get your hot takes and spicy memes, and I'd love to talk to you every week. So please, like and subscribe. Hell, even give us a review of the show, because the comments and reviews really help us tailor the show to you. Again, I'm Phil Briggs, Navy veteran and reporter with ConnectingVets.com in Washington, D.C. And I look forward to talking to you again on another episode of CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans.
0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all.
5: From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing.